morning. Woke up hungry. Okay, so. A lot has happened. The book of Luke has been nothing short of, or nothing less than exciting, or nothing short of uh, powerful when it comes to just how much Jesus himself has done. I uh, am collecting myself, collecting my thoughts. I had really strange dreams last night. I'm not really... They're very blurry at this point. Every second that goes by, dreams seem more and more like far out ideas or far far distant memory. <laughs> I is uh <laughs> Luke chapter twenty three. Is Jesus before Pilate? <laughs> I just spilled my coffee. <laughs> oh no. If you've uh, made it this far into this <laughs> absurdly long intro, we're going to get going straight into Luke chapter 23. <laughs> Uh, I, I should have, uh, I should have gathered myself before clicking start, but yay, yeah, it is what it is. Bring a little bit of humanity to it all. So then the whole company of the morose and brought him before Pilate. If you remember at the end of Luke chapter 22, Peter had just denied Jesus and Jesus is before the council. He's being mocked. He's arrested. We all know it was Judas who turned him in, who brought the authorities, the chief priest, to where he was, near the garden, in the garden. They brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, and saying that he himself is Christ a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee, even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. For he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him. 
then arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For before this, they had been at enmity with each other. So that's nice. Jesus, uh, his radical movement forms a political ground for friendship between <laughs> two uh, essentially Roman governors. I guess kind of how they would be looked at in, uh, in this. In, I know that they're they're referred to it's a you know Herod's jurisdiction is as Judea and we're in the area of, of, of Galilee and Pilate's jurisdiction is obviously in the Jerusalem area and so now they're friends so that's good you know becoming friends over murder is, is nice so <laughs> Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers of the, and the people and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserves death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. So, we know that there's a, a big event going on in Jerusalem. If you remember, it's Passover. This is a big event. So, not only... And I'm trying to think of how long... I think it takes like around anywhere from 10 to 14 days. Uh, I, I could be sure of that. But uh, about 10 to 14 days to walk from like Galilee or from Nazareth, I should say, where, where Jesus' hometown is. To Jerusalem. So, considering that distance, walking two whole weeks, this Passover event becomes a very big event. This, as people come from all over, there's two weeks of traffic pouring into the city, and after Passover, there's the there's a mini exodus of the city the city increases heavily of population of cultures and then it releases that just like uh, it's kind of the the breath of life that cities have whether it's holidays or sports events every city breathes in its own way pulls in people pushes out people it's like a heart pumping bringing in blood and pushing out blood. And what the city is built on determines the type of crowd that pulls. So if a city's built on uh, diehard soccer fans, or in the UK or Australia you call it football fans, then the crowds are going to be typically football fans. If it's concerts, then there's music lovers and if it's political gatherings, then it's people who enjoy that stuff. So, you're going to get radicals 
in those areas. If, if, it's, if it's a religious festival, you're going to get all types of people of those cultures and belief systems. It's, it's just how humans kind of work, how we kind of gather together in community. So Passover, everyone's coming into Jerusalem. The city's being flooded with people. So Herod and Pilate, they're not even, you know, Herod's in Jerusalem and, and Pilate's jurisdiction. They're probably partying. They're probably having fun. They're probably not wanting to deal with politics, especially politics of the Jews. But Jesus is causing a disturbance. And he's causing enough of a disturbance where they do take it into consideration. And this is a man of fame to these people. So they hear him out. But at the time, they're not threatened. Neither Herod nor Pilate are threatened by Jesus or who he is or what he's doing or his condition, for that matter. And so they say, hey, we'll punish him and release him. But they all cried out together, away with this man, and released to us Barabbas, a man who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection started in the city and for murder. Pilate addressed them once more, desiring to release Jesus, but they kept shouting, Crucify, crucify him. The third time he said to them, Why, what evil has he done? I have found him no guilt and no guilt of deserving death. I will therefore punish him and release him. But they were urgent, demanding with loud cries that he should be crucified, and their voices prevailed. Democracy won that day. So Pilate decided that their demand should be granted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, for whom they asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. It's getting kind of getting kind of heavy. So it's it's just so hard to imagine but it it does go to show you that fear hate jealousy envy all the things that are not of god when taken over cause so much more evil to ripple through and so you have this man who's been living as we've followed a good life through this point a glorious life, a beautiful life, a very loving life, a pure life. And the people in this democratic gathering call out for the murderer to be released. We don't know much about Barabbas. But he caused an insurrection that he started in the city of Jerusalem and for murder. So we know that you have a man who 
after just witnessing one of his disciples lop off an ear during the arrest, he reattached it. And then another man who murdered. A man who raises people from the dead and a man who takes people's lives from them. And democracy failed that day. Not in the sense of democracy not working. Not in the sense of fraudulent activity. Democracy failed because the mob rule chose the murderer, not the life giver. Because the majority of that crowd did not want the man of peace. They wanted the man of terror. And so Pilate, abiding by his political duties, listened to the people for fear of insurrection. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming from the country, and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. So Cyrene is a place in Africa. So many theologians believe that this was a black man. Um, obviously everyone, different historians, different theologians say different things, but Cyrene is in Africa, so this is an African, to say the least. And there followed him a great multitude of people and women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bore, the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, Cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others, who were criminals, were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the Skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments, and the people stood by, watching but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine, saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. <coughs> so we know... Mm. So Jesus is hanging on the cross with a sign above his head that says, This is the King of the Jews.
one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And so that statement alone, it, the kind of to take a step back, the Bible is so full of so many stories and things and morals and life lessons that if read at different stages in your life can hit you in new ways. The words never change, but the feelings and the, the meanings can. The relationship with the scripture can change, and that's what makes it so beautiful and so powerful. But as he says, truly I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. It's not only a recognition of their imminent death. Like they, they know they're about to be killed. They're about to die. But it's also a lack of fear of death, which is a very common trait shared in Christianity. That Christians and followers of the Jesus were not supposed to fear anything aside from God or be in struck in awe by fear in the sense of we're not meant to be struck in awe by anything other than God. We're not meant to fear death. We're meant to know that it's coming. We're meant to know that we do not know the time or the hour when our last breath is is breathed. None of us know when we cross over. But all of us know it's going to happen. So what's the point of living in fear? What's the point of living in a routine that you know you can change? And if you're happy in your routine, then be happy in your routine. But don't be shocked if your routine leads to a life that you're not happy with. When you could have changed it, when you could have done something different, when you could have been something better. Because we all know we're going to die. We don't know when, so live your life. Now, there's the thought of, okay, well, I want to live a good life. I want to live a I want to leave leave a mark on this world that has a ripple effect that helps people and doesn't hurt people. That should be the hope, the desire. But we have it easy in the sense of just being able to follow Jesus. Let him be your teacher, let him be your guide and then just go from there. It's a but it's hard. I mean, there's so many different ways to live life. There's so many teachers, there's so many distractions, there's so many ways to indulge in things that are good for your health and bad for your health that it's it's hard to keep moving forward and, and walk in the straight path and the narrow path and 
I mean, it's it's just so easy to stumble and fall and give in to bad habits or old habits and to, you know, say you're never going to drink a soda again and three months goes by and you end up drinking another soda. It's like something small like that or something that is a little bit bigger. Jesus says, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Acknowledging that they're both going to pass over, but acknowledging that they're also going somewhere. And where they're going, or where they will be together, is going to be paradise. So as far as being able to deliver words of comfort... It would make sense if someone who was not hanging on the cross looked up, maybe a brother, maybe a friend, looked up to see the man hanging on the cross and say, it's okay, like it'll be over soon. It's okay, like you're going to be in paradise. But Jesus is hanging on the cross with him and next to him. And so for, for a man who's experiencing the exact same pain and suffering, almost even worse, because they're mocking him, because they're spitting at him, because they're, they're poking and prodding. It's, I mean, they're, they're torturing a man they're already executing, making a show of it. And that's what makes it so disturbing, is that they're turning it into entertainment. They they turn an innocent they they turn over an innocent man for execution and then they turn it into a show. So as this man is suffering and he asks, Remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus says, He gives him words of comfort. And boy, would those words be comforting. Because it's not like it's his brother who's not on the cross saying, it's going to be okay, it'll be over soon. Because it's not okay, it hurts. It's not comfortable. Death is approaching. Your life is literally dwindling away. There's not much that's going to comfort you in that moment aside from a man named Jesus who says, you'll be with me in paradise today. So when you're ready to let go, let go, because I'm here. When you're ready to let go, and that last breath is drawn, know that together, me and you, will be in paradise. And we will talk as long as you want. We will walk as long as you want. I will show you the Father. He will show himself to you. And you, despite your life that led you to the cross, will get to be so much more than that cross. And the proof of that is the fact that we're talking about it. It's the fact that it's, it made it to the story. His words. We don't catch his name, but we catch his life. A man's life. And so then there's the death of Jesus. 
It was now about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. While the sun's light failed, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two, then Jesus, calling out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God, saying, Certainly, this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. <coughs> Excuse me. So chapter 23 is approaching an end. Man. It's, uh... We know there's a major crowd. There's a, there's a big crowd watching. Darkness falls over the land. One of the last things Jesus says calling out with a loud voice. So the amount of energy, he literally gave the rest of his energy to say to the people, so the people would hear, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And in that moment, a centurion, he praised God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. It's wild. So to end the chapter, I'm reading the footnotes currently. The way he died showed him to be innocent. sign of grief the crowd had come to be entertained but Jesus' death disturbed them Luke does not say what effect the death had on the disciples who witnessed it now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea he was a member of the council a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action, and he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down and wrapped it in linen shroud and laid him in a tomb cut in stone where no one had ever yet been laid. It was the day of preparation and the Sabbath was beginning. The women who had come with him from Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and ointments. On the Sabbath day they rested according to the commandment.
So the last chapter is uh, chapter 24. And it's uh, a fairly short chapter. But thank you for everyone who's been following along through the book of Luke. We've got one more chapter to go. It's been definitely powerful to say the least. And this chapter was, uh, it's tough. It's, there's always weight to it. When, you, when you're reading it with intent, when you're not just reading the Bible or the books of the Bible as normal books, but as history formed into spirituality, it uh, changes it. There's a deeper meaning. There's a deeper connection. When you realize that Jesus was a real person who really walked the earth and talked and taught and changed and in a way allowed us to experience the world as we do today. So there's a lot to be grateful for, mainly being forgiven of sin, to be able to start again, to start over, to take every day as a new day, burying yourself from yesterday and awakening a new version, a better version of yourself every day as you continue to walk towards God. It's a, it's powerful. Jesus is the only teacher who offers that. You just, you're not going to find that. There's no self-help book that is genuinely going to give you a chance for true peace, everlasting peace, everlasting joy. There's only one. God bless.